It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Wednesday, November 1st, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Did you know that immigrants can be held in ICE jails for months or even years while they wait for their deportation and asylum cases to be heard? California Senator Alex Padilla is calling on the Biden administration to change that. The California Report has the details. Then, after a look at local news and weather, the California News Service reports on Covered California's new open enrollment term and how you may or may not be eligible to reap its benefits. That's all before Al Staller brings us another edition of Al Staller Explores. Tonight, he brings our attention to Nissan on Heritage Day, which happens this weekend. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles, and here are your California headlines. Starting today, several counties, including Alameda, Shasta, and San Mateo, are requiring healthcare workers to mask up in public patient areas of hospitals and clinics. In Santa Clara County, both staff and patients are required to wear masks in health facilities. The masking rules are a response to traditionally higher rates of COVID, flu, and other viral infections during the fall and winter months. Tesla has won a trial in a civil lawsuit claiming that the electric car company's autopilot driving assistance feature led to a fatal crash. The suit argued that in 2019, the autopilot aboard a Tesla Model 3 caused owner Michael Lee to veer off a highway in Riverside County and strike a tree at 65 miles per hour, killing him and injuring two passengers. Plaintiffs were seeking $400 million in damages. Tesla denied liability, arguing it was unclear that the autopilot feature had been engaged. Two former dancers with the Sacramento Kings have sued the team and its choreographer, alleging they were victims of sexual harassment, unwanted touching, and retaliation during the most recent playing season. The suit alleges when the dancers reported the problems, Kings management failed to act. The plaintiff's attorney, Ron Zambrano, talked to KCRA News. When these things were brought up to the organization, they did one thing, which was, we'll look into it, and then they, they did nothing. The King says it takes all reports of sexual harassment seriously and does not comment on active litigation. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. California Senator Alex Padilla is calling on the Biden administration to change its rules on immigration detention so that non-citizens have more legal protections and a better chance to be released on bond. KQED's Tyke Hendricks explains. Immigrants can be held in ICE jails for months or years while they wait for their deportation and asylum cases to be heard in the overburdened immigration courts. Padilla and three other congressional Democrats say prolonged detention without adequate due process raises serious constitutional concerns, and it can be disastrous for immigrants and their families. 
In a letter to Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and Attorney General Merrick Garland, they say non-citizens should be entitled to periodic reviews of their detention and, just as in criminal court, the government should bear the burden of proof on whether they need to be locked up. For the California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. The end of this year will mark the end of California's historic program to pay reparations to survivors of state-sponsored sterilization. There are an estimated 600 living survivors, but 70% of the applications for reparations that have been received have been rejected. Among those who have been denied include a group of survivors who had a procedure known as an endometrial ablation. Kayla Mihalovich has been reporting on this story for over a year and joins me now to talk about it. Hi, Kayla. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So first things first, tell me what is an endometrial ablation and how does it relate to fertility? Yeah, so an endometrial ablation is a procedure that's intended to treat abnormal uterine bleeding. It damages the uterine lining, so it dramatically reduces a person's ability to get pregnant. And that's why OBGYNs I've spoken to say that they would never give an ablation to someone who has any desire for children. Hmm. And you've been speaking to survivors in the course of your reporting of endometrial ablations. These are both current and formerly incarcerated people. Can you describe how it's affected them? I spoke with five women and one trans man who had ablations and were denied reparations. And one of those people was Sharon Phoenix, who had an endometrial ablation in 2006 while she was incarcerated at Valley State Prison. And the doctor who ordered the ablation told her that she had fibroids and the procedure would stop her heavy bleeding. Sharon says that she did not give informed consent for this procedure. She had no idea that it would make pregnancy unlikely. She applied for reparations and she was denied, and she appealed that decision, and that was denied too. So she submitted a second application and appeal, and both of those were denied again. You dehumanized me. You took my body. You did what you wanted to do to it. Like, how dare you think that it was okay for you not to tell me what you were doing to me? And how dare you later on tell me that I don't deserve to be one of the ones that get reparations for it? Uh, You're wrong. So, Kayla, why is the Compensation Board refusing to give reparations to people who've had ablations? The legislation intentionally did not define sterilization because the people who wrote the law knew that they would not be able to capture all of the ways in which unethical physicians were using procedures to limit an incarcerated person's fertility. And in fact, medical experts say that many treatments can profoundly impact a person's fertility, so the law's drafters left it really broad. And in Sharon's denial letter, the Compensation Board said that because legislators didn't actually define sterilization, they used a law dictionary definition, which called it the permanent inability to produce offspring. And so based on that, they argued that ablations don't qualify as sterilization. But like I said before, I spoke with five doctors who all said that they would never perform an ablation on someone who has any desire for children. So what's next for people like Sharon and others who've had coercive ablations? So Sharon and another formerly incarcerated woman who received an ablation are filing a petition in state courts next week in the hope that the compensation board's decision will be overturned. 
And their attorney told me that filing this petition is a really important step because the compensation board's denials are arbitrary and they're not based on law or science. All right. We have been speaking to Kayla Mihalovich. You can read her reporting on this story on KQED's website. That's kqed.org. Kayla, thanks for joining us on the California Report. Thanks so much for having me. And that's this edition of the California Report for Wednesday, the 1st of November. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Today, open enrollment begins for the Covered California Health Insurance Marketplace. If you're currently uninsured, you might stand to benefit from its services. Coming up, the California News Service brings us the details on everything Covered California, what it is, how it works, and the benefits that you may be eligible to receive. If you don't have health insurance, or if your employer-sponsored plan is too expensive, you're in luck. Open enrollment starts today for the state marketplace known as Covered California. An estimated 1.3 million Californians are eligible for free Medi-Cal or for a low-cost plan through the marketplace. Jessica Altman is executive director at Covered California. 90% of the enrollees on Covered California receive financial assistance, two-thirds of whom have access to comprehensive health insurance coverage for a cost of $10 or less per month. This year, premiums are set to go up by 9%, but many people won't feel the increase thanks to federal subsidies from the Inflation Reduction Act and the new California Enhanced Cost Sharing Program, which lowers expenses for anyone making up to 250% of the federal poverty level. That works out to an income of about $35,000 a year for an individual or about $70,000 for a family of four. Altman notes that help is available to navigate the process. So in addition to being able to visit us at CoveredCA.com to call us on the phone, we do also have over 14,000 enrollment assisters in communities across the state who speak uh, numerous languages and are here to help, always free, always confidential for any Californian. This year, income-eligible DACA recipients will be able to sign up for a plan on Covered California thanks to a policy change by the Biden administration. The open enrollment period lasts through the end of January, but you must sign up by New Year's Eve in order for coverage to start on January 1st. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. In regional news, UBANET reports that tonight, from 6 to 8, a public meeting is being held to inform the public of the alternatives the county is considering for the Edwards Crossing Bridge replacement. The potential environmental impacts that would result from each one are also being discussed, and the meeting is meant to act as an opportunity for the public to ask any questions they might have about the draft environmental impact report. In case you need a refresher, the County of Nevada and Caltrans proposed to replace the existing Edwards Crossing Bridge over a portion of the South Yuba River after it was deemed structurally insufficient. One of the biggest issues with that insufficiency is its inability to carry the weight of emergency vehicles, which renders it unable to serve as an evacuation route during an event like a wildfire. Public Works and consultants from Dokken Engineering are providing three alternatives to consider for North Bloomfield Road at the bridge project. Its DEIR includes a no-build option, which is alternative number three. Alternative number one would construct a new 200-foot span bridge located about 60 feet upstream from the existing bridge and would not change the road alignment of the current route to and from the bridge. 
Alternative 2 would build a new 500-foot span bridge located about 1,000 feet upstream of the existing bridge. With both alternatives, the existing bridge will remain in place to serve pedestrians and cyclists. If you're interested in popping in, the meeting is taking place at the Board of Supervisors Chambers, located at 950 Maidu Avenue in Nevada City, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Tahoe National Forest announced in a press release today that they'll begin issuing Christmas tree permits through Recreation.gov beginning on November 7th. A limited number of permits are available to purchase in person at district offices as well. If you'd like, you can call ahead to ensure permit availability. The supervisor's office phone number is 530-265-4531. Permits are valid for one tree with a limit of two permits per household. They can only be used to harvest a tree on the Tahoe National Forest between November 7th and December 31st. And if you have a fourth grader with an Every Kid Outdoors Pass, your family might be in luck because they're eligible for a free Christmas tree permit and can apply by entering the pass or voucher number when purchasing online. For the best experience while harvesting a Christmas tree, the Forest Service recommends reviewing additional guidelines and safety information provided on recreation.gov. Here are just a few of those. First, off-road motor vehicle travel isn't allowed, so you'll have to be prepared to hike, ski, or snowshoe to find your Christmas tree, and you should bring a tape measure, saw or an axe, tarp, and a rope to cut and transport it. The Tahoe National Forest has limitations on tree sizes and species that are available for cutting, so you'll be asked to review both requirements and tree cutting maps to ensure that your selected tree meets permit guidelines and is located within forest boundaries. Although tree cutting is permitted through the end of December, officials recommend cutting early in the season before higher elevations become inaccessible due to snow and ice. Trees can stay fresh for several weeks if they're properly stored, and because trees begin to lose moisture as soon as they're cut, you should consider placing them in water as soon as possible. Be prepared for unpredictable weather changes and cold conditions in higher elevations. Check weather and road conditions prior to departure, Ensure your gas tank is full and pack warm clothing, water, emergency food, and tire chains, just in case. For more information or to contact a Tahoe National Forest office, you can visit www.fs.usda.gov Tahoe. And a quick announcement, Caltrans is reminding motorists that Borland Avenue is now closed along State Route 49 in Auburn, as Phase 2 begins on the $9.9 million American Canyon Roundabout Project. The Borland Avenue intersection with 49 is scheduled to be closed for four weeks through Friday, December 1st. Local businesses along Borland Avenue will remain open and can be accessed with a detour. Signs are in place to lead motorists northbound on 49 and exit left at Lincoln Way. From there, you can take Cherry Avenue to Brook Road and turn back onto Borland Avenue. While closed, crews will begin work on Borland Avenue in preparation for construction of the roundabout. The project is the second of three recent Auburn area projects to improve safety on the SR-49 corridor in Placer County. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 48. Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 70. And Thursday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 50. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 28. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 62. And Thursday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 32. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 46. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 74. 
And Thursday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 53. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. This upcoming Saturday is Nisanan Heritage Day. It celebrates the Nisanan people who have resided in the Sierra foothills for thousands of years. Up next, KVMR's Al Stoller speaks with Nisanan spokesperson Shelley Covert about what the day represents and Nisanan culture and history in its whole. When I spoke with Shelley Covert recently about Nisanan culture, past and present, I asked her what today most needed remedy. The erasure of our people the exclusion of the Nisenam from the local history here. We've done a lot of really good work over the last 15 years to raise the visibility and to shift the lens to a history that includes the thousands of years of Nisenam presence here in our homelands. One of the harder things has just been getting our federal recognition restored. We have so much documentation and ability to prove our existence here, and we also have so much documentation to show that the federal government has failed in its responsibility over and over and over again. When did the tribe lose recognition? How did that come about? Between 1958 and 1965, Congress passed the California Rancheria Act, which terminated 44 California tribes. 41 of them have been restored. So we're one of the three that needs to be restored. Richard Nixon stopped federal termination of tribes. Ronald Reagan also had a huge part in rescinding and undoing tribal termination. But the legislation, it's legislation but without teeth. There's nothing to stand behind it and actually make it happen. And so all of these tribes had to go one by one by one to get their recognition restored. Who are you in touch with in Washington? Well, we mostly work with the Department of the Interior and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, but they have not been receptive to accepting our meeting to meet them. And it's hard to bring conversation to somebody who doesn't want to talk. The foothills are rich with oak trees, and their acorns are rich in nutrients. I just had a really nice long conversation with one of my cousins about acorn processing and gathering and talking about the old traditional way that we know how to do it and how burdened that is with hard, hard, slow work. And we were talking about some of the different ways that people are using modern means to get the same outcome, doing acorn processing for meal, acorn mush, acorn stew, and acorn bread. But oaks do not want animals eating their acorns. So they fill the nuts with tannin, the same toxin that makes redwood rot-resistant. To make acorn edible, the tannin's got to be leached out by soaking the nuts in water again and again. Tastes good if you leach it enough. Acorn can be really, really wonderful. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight, actually, when I come home, because we need acorn for Heritage Day, and we only have a few short days, so... (laughs) I was at a gathering, very large gathering, just a few years ago, and I was really intrigued and impressed by the fact that different acorns from different species of trees taste different, and then there's different recipes. Oh, yeah. People kept their recipes secret, the different things they flavored the stews with, different insects, ants and bees, and they have a spice of their own, and those were always held, just like any chef holds their recipes very close to their chest. 
So it's keeping these recipes of our grandmothers alive. This Saturday is our 14th annual Nisenan Heritage Day. Where and when? Sierra College, Nevada County Campus, which is in Grass Valley. 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. this Saturday, November 4th. Please don't pay at the little parking meter at the bottom of the hill because it is free parking and it is a free event. All age-friendly. We'll have the pine nut bead making station for the kids or adults who want to come make beads. We'll have acorn processing going on. There will be a kids' corner, so if you have real littles and you just need something for them to do, we'll have the kids' corner. We'll have two different presentations, one about language and writing systems, and one from our PhD intern, Megan Renoir. Exciting stuff. Sierra College is providing snacks and water. 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. this Saturday, November 4th. Shelley, it's always good talking with you. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks very much. Thank you, Al. Speaking with Shelley Coverts of the Nissi 9. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, November 1st. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Ben Franklin Crafts, featuring Halloween decorations to transform the inside and outside of a home into a haunted manor. Also masks, hats, and other costume-creating supplies for Halloween. Ben Franklin Crafts is on Sutton Way in Grass Valley. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. And don't forget, beginning next week on Monday, November 6th, the KVMR Evening News will no longer air at 6 p.m. Instead, we'll bring you locally produced and relevant news from our region twice daily, Monday through Friday, first at 8.06 a.m. and then again at 12.01 p.m. In our old time slot, Monday through Thursday, we'll be airing all of the locally created public affairs shows that you know and love. And on Fridays from 6 to 6.30, we'll feature in-depth interviews, as well as our long-running segments like A Walk in the Park, Water News, Molly Fisk's Essays, The Econ Report, What You're Reading, Money Matters, and more. The KVMR Evening Newscast is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night. 